Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something about morality and me. If I believe that something is immoral and you're doing it and I ain't doing it, I'm a better person than you. I don't want to be that way either, but I am. And so are you. So are you. If you believe that something is bad and somebody else is doing it and you're not doing it, you're a better person. You're better morally. You're a little higher in the hierarchy of rating and rank. It's We're just that way. Now, what do you believe about drinking alcohol? Is it evil? Because if you believe that, remember, we don't condemn actions. We condemn people. huh? We judge people. If you believe that drinking is evil, you have just condemned about 50% of the human race. For whom bread and wine are staples of life. You have just condemned about four or five of the major religions on the face of the earth who use wine in the very worship of God. Are they really bad people because they ingest a beverage that you disprove of? Do you see what I'm after this morning, ladies and gentlemen? For God's sake, examine your attitudes. I'm not here to judge or play God. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm asking you to look at what they are. What's your attitude toward alcohol? Is it bad or good? Or can it have any morality about it? Is this microphone morally good or morally bad? I was taught and I believe that no inanimate object is either morally good or morally bad. The only thing that has morality attached to it is the will. Some people believe that alcohol itself is evil. And I often wonder what the good God who created it thinks of that. Well, anyway, what are your attitudes? Now, please, let's get to the alcoholic. My friends, you cannot watch a man show up drunk at his own mother's funeral and not have feelings about it. I don't care who you are. Whether you've been recovered from the disease yourself for 28 or 29 years or not. You can't look on that and not have feelings. A 20-year-old girl coming home for a Christmas vacation, finding her mother stark naked, dead drunk, passed out in the middle of the bathroom floor at 3 a.m. on New Year's Eve, can't not have feelings about that. Now, what are your feelings about alcoholics? Why, well, I know some beautiful attitudes in AA. Why well, ain't going to help that son of a bitch till he asks for it? We ought to shoot people like that. Dr. Bob Smith did not call Bill Wilson for help. Bill called him. And the twelfth step of recovery in AA says, we tried to carry the message to alcoholics. It doesn't say we tried to carry the message to those that picked up the telephone, called the central office, and asked us to. Do you see what I'm after about this attitude? About 60% of AA members call it a disease and do not believe it is one. Ladies and gentlemen, a disease can be diagnosed and treated. It can be diagnosed and treated. And yet in AA we say things like, it's a disease of body, mind, emotion, and soul. And in the next breath we say, but I'm not going to help them until they make a rational decision about their state of health. Now who's sick? 
Just because I happen to be recovered doesn't bring me out of the realm of people who have nutty attitudes. Let me tell you something else about our attitudes, my friends. They're all wrong. (laughs) Ain't that a kicker? But they're only wrong to a greater or lesser degree. In other words, some people have better attitudes than others because they're armed with a little more knowledge. Now, where do our attitudes come from? We'll go into that just so that we can see why they are as deep and emotional as they are. Basically and fundamentally, the primary source of all attitudes, parental and religious background. And this begins at birth. Parents affect their children, attitudinally speaking. If I like my parents, I will believe and feel much as they do. And if I don't, I'll choose opposite values. But nonetheless, they do indeed affect me. This way or that. Let's please look at some major religions and their attitudes toward alcohol and every aspect of it. And I would preface my remarks with these. I am not here to criticize anyone's religious beliefs. Good Lord, I have a few pretty strong ones of my own. I'm just asking you to put your emotion in your pocket and plainly look at the attitude and the result. The attitude is the father of the action. The attitude is the father of the action. And the belief gives birth to the practice. A good friend of mine is a Methodist minister who has dedicated his life to alcoholics. Guess what brought him in to this work? An incident that he heard about that happened in a southern state. I won't tell you what part of the south. One Sunday morning in the middle of a church service, an alcoholic at the end of his rope, he was at the last knot holding on with his fingernails, came running into the church crying and screaming. He needed and wanted help. Well, of course, he made a ruckus, a lot of noise. He said, please, please help me. They threw him out. And a truck hit and killed him right outside their front door. And they're inside singing hymns. The belief is the father of the action. Now please, let's examine some of our religious attitudes toward drinking, drunkenness, alcoholism, and alcoholics. Let's begin with one of the major religions on earth, Judaism. Ladies and gentlemen, the Jewish people drink wine from birth till death. At table and in their religious ceremonial, they have practically no alcoholism at all. Why we don't learn from them, I don't know. The practice, the way they use alcohol and do not abuse it, I think rests fundamentally on their beliefs about it. Number one, alcohol itself, quotes, the gift of God that gladdens the hearts of men. Number two, they therefore use it accordingly. A Jew would no more dream of abusing alcohol by getting drunk than he would dream of driving an automobile 90 miles an hour through a schoolyard. You just don't do it. It is unacceptable behavior. Therefore, they don't do it. Where you do not tolerate the abuse of alcohol, you have a very low rate of alcoholism. <laughs> it's that simple. My God, you don't have to read a book. All you have to do is look. Let's take some of the rest of us. Roman Catholics. Catholic theology, along with its neighbors and cousins, Lutheranism and Episcopalianism, Anglicanism, Tolerate, almost to a point of abuse, alcohol. In fact, there's an old saying that where you find four Catholics, there's usually a fifth. Well. (laughs) 
among us all, Catholics, Lutherans, Episcopalians, there's a very high rate of alcoholism. Mormons, Southern Baptists, up until recently Methodists, were Christian sects that forbade the use of alcohol. Now hold on to your chairs. The rate of alcohol, uh, the rate of alcoholism among their ranks is sky high. Sky high. When those whose religions forbid the use of alcohol drink, they drink with guilt. They're sitting ducks. Case in point, the family I live with. The mother is sober in AA 11 years. She's one of 11 children, 10 of whom are alcoholics. The 11th is not. She's scared to death to touch it. Their daddy was a Baptist minister who preached that alcohol is evil. Drinking it is worse. When they drank, they drank with guilt. You might remember him in your prayers, by the way. May had to bury her dad a couple of months ago. Of Mormons who drink, one out of two contracts the disease. That's from a government survey. And you can find all these statistics in a book called Alcohol Problems, A Report to the Nation by Dr. Thomas Platt. It's all in there. I'm just voicing them. Family and religion. Take Islam. Muslims are forbidden to drink. Of those who do, one out of three contracts the disease. I got this from a Muslim I met back in Maryland. A friend of mine at an ARC, an alcohol rehab center in Norfolk, Virginia, United States Navy, did a one-question survey of the patients. They had 70 patients. Exactly 30 were Roman Catholics. Exactly 30 were Southern Baptists. One religion condones the use of alcohol. One forbids, and they both supplied the same percentage of patients. I remember at a ministerial meeting on alcoholism, it was an educational thing, one minister put his hand up and kind of smiling at the absurdity of it, he said, in my church there is no alcohol problem. As soon as someone contracts the disease, we deny him membership. So of course we have no... I, uh, by the way, I didn't say that to be funny or critical at all. The man was simply stating a fact of life in his own religion. Now please watch this added something. Race, culture, social background, and so all of these uh, nebulous but very definable things also enter into it. Let's go to Europe to watch a rather startling phenomenon. France and Italy geographically are neighbors. In fact, the border towns, I think, their peoples are bilingual. They are both Catholic by faith, they are Latin by blood, genetically they're cousins, and they both use wine as their national beverage. France has one of the highest rates of alcoholism in Europe and Italy one of the lowest. And the reason is simplicity itself. France condones drunkenness. Italy does not. <laughs> the belief is the father of the practice. In Italy, you do not get drunk. It is unacceptable behavior. You just don't do it. And here in America, we condone almost anything. <laughs> if in no other way than by silence, we say nothing, therefore it's all right. We condone almost anything. We in America are heirs to the classical American temperance movement. Now, I'd like to go into that because it was all explained to me by a young Methodist minister friend of mine. He said this to me. 
If the founding fathers of the temperance movement could see what we've done to it, he said they'd turn over in their graves. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what the word temperance means? It refers to the responsible use of alcohol. Temperance in all things is an ideal and a virtue. You do or should do everything temperately. But after it was in existence about 20 minutes, it became an abstinence movement. There's a vast difference between temperance and abstinence. Do you know how it came into being? Well, first of all, the movement came into being through a looking at the abuse of alcohol. A century ago, America was not a whiskey, was a whiskey drinking country because they couldn't preserve beer and wine very well. So they drank an awful lot of whiskey. They were pioneers. They worked hard. They played hard. They drank hard. The results were obvious. Alcoholism. Broken homes, broken bodies, broken families, broken heads, on and on and on. And so these, this religion came to a conclusion that we should do something about this. Let's drink temperately. But from a condemnation of alcoholism, they went to a condemnation of alcoholics, from the deed to the doer. From a condemnation of drinking, which they believe caused it, to a condemnation of drinkers. And then the ultimate. They passed a moral judgment on an inanimate object. They condemned alcohol. The belief gave birth to these practices, calling alcohol demon rum. It is evil. The lips that touch liquor will never touch mine. And on and on and on. Now, many of us in this room are heirs to a greater or lesser degree to these movements and so on. I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong. I'm saying they're there. Let's take our racial and cultural background. We have already seen the Jews, the French, and the Italians. The American Indian was a sitting duck. He had no past cultural usage of alcohol. Ladies and gentlemen, the West wasn't one with Winchester rifles. It was one with barrels of whiskey. Barrels of whiskey conquered this country. Most of us, I think, are from, it's the only one I know to talk about, a European background. French, Polish, German, Italian, English, Irish, whatever. Most of us should be bilingual, and we're not. Go back in your family, I think that you will find, for some of you anyway, the great-grandparents absolutely refused to teach the native tongue to the child. He didn't want him to grow up with an accent and be ridiculed. When I taught out here for many years, there were, there were many boys in class that should have spoken Spanish. They didn't. Most of our forebears were peasants, face it. And they came over to this country for many reasons, one of which was to eat better. You know, you can idealize all that goop as you want, but they came over to eat better. And they were looked down on by the clowns that had come over here before. And you know who they were, the horse thieves that arrived 20 years earlier. They had to work hard, so they played hard, they sinned hard, and they drank hard. The result, let me give you one, for instance. My closest friend on earth is married to a little Polish girl from South Baltimore whose daddy worked in the steel mills. He came home on Friday night, he gave his paycheck to his wife, he got an allowance, and he got drunk on the weekend. And Nancy knew that when she grew up, that would be exactly her life. And there would be a beating or two thrown in. Because that's what happened in her neighborhood and her home. And she simply took it for granted as a way of life. And it was. Now, my friends, you want to know where your strongest attitudes come from? Personal experience. Personal experience. I was at an AA meeting giving the blackboard talk about a year and a half ago. 
and I got talking about emotions and so on and so forth. After it was over, a woman came up to me in tears. She said, I have been in Al-Anon 11 years. I have never forgiven him one syllable that he ever said to me or anything that he ever did to me during the years that he drank. Attitudes? Okay, let's switch back to the graveyard. Suppose the guy drunk at his own mother's funeral happens to be your brother. How many of you in this room have had a parent, either a mother or father, show up drinking or drunk at an important day in your life, like a graduation or your wedding or whatever? Our attitudes toward alcoholics are pretty strong, my friends. Listen to the language of the dedicated, recovered alcoholic, and you'll find out just what his attitudes are, too. Well, he doesn't want it. Let him go. Here I am playing God again. How do I, how dare I judge any human heart? How do I know what he wants? He's so sick. But boy, he offended me by getting drunk that last time. I'm sore at that. And by God, I treat him accordingly. This is not a criticism of people in general. It is just picking out human failings. I'm loaded with them. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a good 12th stepper. So I don't do it. I'm on the road all the time. I couldn't give the time to an alcoholic anyway. I'm too impatient to work with a drunk. Far too impatient. And when you work with a drunk, you're playing with another human life. Beware. Beware. But by the way, I'm sure that you are here in this room because you're interested in alcoholics. Let me give you one guide. I remember at a meeting one time, we asked the man who saved my life, well, Rip, how far do you go with a drunk? And he shot back. He says, as far as you can. And then one step more. I have seen him live this. I'm not big enough to. That's not humility. It's a statement of fact. I'm not big enough to do that. But I've seen him do it. And I've seen him save lives with the one step more. So forget all your bloody discussions about that. Where there is human life involved, I should be led accordingly. One step more. Let me show you just how deep personal experience can hammer home an attitude in a human soul. I know of, I don't know the woman, I know of a nurse who has done emergency room work for about 20 to 21 years at this point. This is her background. As an orphan, she was raised by an alcoholic uncle and his wife, her aunt. And this man, when he drank, became a rather obnoxious wife-beater and child-beater. You imagine his little six-year-old girl getting pummeled by a 200-pound drunk. That was her background. The result? Here's a woman whose life is dedicated to human suffering and the alleviation of it. She sees her uncle in every sick alcoholic. They wheel into that hospital and she treats him accordingly with utter contempt. Utter contempt. Is her attitude wrong? Yes. But is it understandable? You bet your bottom dollar it's understandable. And that's what I say about all of us and our attitudes. They're all wrong to a greater or lesser degree. 
but they're all understandable. Positing our parents, our religion, our race, our, our cultural background, and our personal experience. I only ask you to look at yours, see what they are. Now, please, what's the conclusion to all this? We've looked at attitudes, we've looked at where they come from. What are we to conclude from? Well, I'll tell you. Let's just begin with this simple consideration. God Almighty has not yet gone on vacation and appointed either me or you to fill in. So I'm not put on this earth to judge. But I know this. We are indeed committed in conscience. We are committed in conscience to love. Now, spelling, and of course, everybody uses the word love. Nobody knows what the hell it means. But anyways, basically, to love is to give. We are committed to the alleviation of human suffering. I beg you, I beg you, let's let this be a basic attitude. What can I do to help? That's all. Let's start with that one. What can I do to help? Positing all of my feelings, what can I do to help? I'm not here to judge. I'm here to help. Let's let that be a basic. Now, before we end this first session, I would just like to toss this cutie pie into your laps for consideration. If the primary source of all of our attitudes is parental, and if basically your attitudes toward every aspect of alcohol are what your parents were, where do you think your kids are going to get theirs? Try this single question on for size. Who of you in this room would want a son or a daughter to grow up to be exactly like you? My God, that's terrifying. I wouldn't want anybody to be, grow up to be exactly like me. Your attitudes are important, my friends, because they will dictate the way you act. And also they will dictate how you form the attitudes in others. But anyway, let's take a break and we'll pick up next session.